1,220. The end of all things is, there, is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Sally, thank you so much for reading our passage for us. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you so much for your word and that you speak to us through it. Father, we pray that we'd never take this wonderful privilege for granted. Father, in today's passage, uh, we know that there are some familiar truths in here. Father, we do pray that we wouldn't switch off uh, because we think, oh, I, I know that. But Father, you have put these words here for a reason. That's to edify us and to build us up. And so, Father, we, pr- we pray that we would pay attention to what you have to say to us this morning. And we pray, Father, you give us soft hearts to, re- to receive it and to, to want to put it into practice into our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage begins with the words, The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. What would you do if you knew the world was about to come to an end? For example, what would you do if you knew the world was going to come to an end next month? Would that change how you live? Throughout the New Testament, we're encouraged to live in light of the end. And we see this all over 1 Peter. In addition to uh, verse 7 of today's passage, We also see it, for instance, in chapter 2, verse 12, where Peter speaks of the day when God visits us. And in chapter 1, verse 20, where he says, Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake, in these last times. This morning, we're going to think about how to live in light of Christ's return. But before we do, I want to point out what I think verse 7 doesn't mean. When Peter wrote, the end of all things is near, I don't think he was suggesting that the world was imminently about to end. He makes this clear in his second letter. So some people were scoffing, if Christ was meant to return, then where is he? Why hasn't he come back yet? To which Peter replied, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. 
So Peter wasn't suggesting that the world was imminently about to end. Rather, he was saying that we should be ready for it to, to end because it could end at any moment. Jesus has already died, risen, ascended, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now we're just waiting for the next stage of the plan to be implemented, and that is for him to come back. In his second letter, Peter says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Although we we don't know when it will come, we need to make sure we'll be ready for it because it will come unexpectedly. Now, how should, how should Christ's return affect how we live? This is a question we're thinking about this morning. How do we live in light of Christ's return? And I don't primarily mean how do we do that as individuals. I mean, how do we do that as a church? As we'll see as we work our way through today's passage, the instructions that Peter gives are all in the context of relationships in the church. So living in light of Christ's return is a community project. It's not something we're meant to do on our own. So how do we live in light of Christ's return as a church? There are three things that Peter tells us to do. The first is this, we do it by praying. We do it by praying. Have a look at me at verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. What should knowing the end's proximity produce in us as Christians? Peter says that it should lead to us being sober-minded so that we may pray. Now, we'll think about the praying in a moment. But before we do, it's worth asking, why might Peter tell us to have a sober mind? This isn't the only place in the letter where he says it. He also says it in chapter 5, and he says it in chapter 1 as well. So sober-mindedness is a big deal for Peter. But what does he mean by it? I think he means that we should live as those who are conscious of the fact that Jesus is coming back. It might help us to briefly compare a sober person with a drunk one. A sober person is aware of their surroundings and relatively in control of their behavior. Conversely, a drunk person is less aware of their environment and far less in control of their behavior or actions. As Christians, we are those who are aware of our spiritual environment. We know that Jesus is coming back. So our behavior should line up with that awareness. In other words, we should live as those who are spiritually sober and not spiritually drunk. We ought to behave as spiritually sober people. Now, to what extent does the way you live your life suggest that you believe that Jesus is coming back? To what extent are you living as a spiritually sober person? 
brothers and sisters, we know that Jesus is coming back. So Peter wants us to to live like it. I think this is what he means uh, when he tells us to be of sober mind. Live as though Jesus is going to return. And what does that living look like? It involves praying. Praying is very important. And why? Why is praying crucial? So in chapter 5, verse 8, where Peter also tells us to be of sober mind, he says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And in chapter 2, and and, and I mentioned this briefly last week, um, Peter says that we're in a spiritual war. Now, knowing that we're in a spiritual war and that the devil is out to get us, surely that should be motivation for us to to pray, shouldn't it? It should cause us to pray that we will stand firm in the faith and that our brothers and sisters will also. As it becomes harder for us to to be Christians in Britain, and we're increasingly mocked or sidelined for our beliefs, I think it will become a lot more commonplace for us to get worn down. And that wearing down might even take us to the point where where we're tempted to want to pack in our Christian beliefs. We might wonder, why bother being a Christian when it's so hard? So prayer is... Crucial. We need to pray that God will keep us steadfast in in our faith and that he will do that for others in the church as well. Friends, when's the last time you prayed for another Christian's faith? Who in our congregation could you ask, hey, how are you doing spiritually? What challenges to your faith are you facing at the moment? How can I be praying for you? People might be facing all sorts of pressures when it comes to their faith. They might be facing pressure at home from their family for being a Christian. They might be facing pressure at work from their colleagues for being a Christian. And they might be facing pressure because of sin or temptation they're struggling with. So it's likely they could really do with your prayers. Prayers that in the midst of the pressure, they would draw near to Christ rather than away from him. And here's the thing. Don't only only ask others how you can be praying for them, but also share how they can be praying for you. To some extent, maybe that is even harder because it requires a bit of vulnerability. But let the other person bless and serve you by keeping keeping you in their prayers. Okay, so living in light of Christ's return means that we should be praying for one another so that we're ready for his return. We want to be those who are standing firm in our faith when he comes back. How else should knowing that Christ will return cause us to live? 
it should cause us to love. Our second point is, live in light of Christ's return by loving, by loving one another. Have a look with me at verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why does Peter call us to, to love one another? He says that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, what on earth does that mean? When someone has sinned against you, it's very tempting to want to, to, want to settle scores, isn't it? And even if you don't plan to get even, you can still easily find yourself bearing a grudge or being passive-aggressive towards that person, towards that person who's upset you. But oftentimes, we feel hurt by people whose actions or words were never intended to hurt us. That's so often the case, isn't it? Nevertheless, we, we, we take what they either said or did to heart, allowing it to fester and leading to us feeling resentful towards them. Now, how much better would it be for us to respond with love to the one who's inadvertently offended us? When we show that person love, resentment's hold on us is, is weakened. And we can have a, a healthier relationship with that person. And, and not only will we have a, a better relationship with them, I think we'll feel better and happier. I mean, who on earth enjoys feeling resentful? It's a terrible feeling, right? We don't enjoy feeling resentful towards people. I think that's what Peter means by, by love covering a multitude of sins. As we actively love the person who's wronged us, resentment begins to subside. So let's seek to overcome uh, resentment or grudges in, in the, within the church by responding with love to fellow believers who've offended us. Now I want to clarify that I don't think this means that we should never confront a person who's, who's hurt us. Sometimes it is, of course, right to do that. But even then, even then, it's right to do that if we're doing it from a place of love, not bitterness. I think a, a helpful question to ask yourself when interacting with someone who's hurt you is, is the way I'm treating this person motivated by love? Or is it motivated, for example, by a desire to get back at them? So, for example, if we, if we do confront them, are we doing it from a place of love, or is it just to have a go at them? If it's the latter, well, the latter isn't loving, is it? And love is what should be the hallmark of our relationships in the church. If, if you're ever unsure as to how to respond to someone who's offended you, you might even want to ask yourself, what is the most loving thing I can do for this person? And then go and do it. 
I think that's what it looks like for love to cover a multitude of sins. And I know, hey, that's easier said than done, right? I'm not saying this is easy. But imagine if we as a church always sought to live this way. Imagine what a beautiful reflection we'd be of God's love for us. And imagine the balm that the church would be to Christians who are suffering outside in a hostile world. A loving church community is vital for Christians who live in a world that despises them for their beliefs. I think that's why, that's probably why Peter tells us in verse 9 to show hospitality to one another. That's a tangible way of showing love, isn't it? We live in a society that is increasingly inhospitable towards Christians. So let's distinguish ourselves from the unbelieving world. Our love and hospitality towards each other can help us to stand firm until Christ returns. So how are we to live in light of Christ's return? We ought to do so by praying for one another and by loving one another. And finally, we ought to do so by serving one another. That's our third point, by serving. Have a look with me at verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Did you notice in those verses why we, were, why we are able to serve? We are able to serve because God has given gifts to each and every one of us. And using those God-given gifts to serve our church family is what Peter says it looks like to be a faithful steward of God's grace. Do you want to be faithful to God? Part of what it looks like to be faithful to Him is to use the gifts He has given you to serve the church family. Notice that Peter says that each of you should use whatever gift you have received. The implication is that everyone has been gifted in some way to serve. So there is no such thing as an ungifted Christian. An ungifted Christian does not exist. We all have gifts. Now, Peter doesn't go into much detail as to, as to the different types 
of gifts that God gives compared to other places in the Bible, for example. He simply divides them into two broad categories. I don't know if you notice them. Uh, speaking gifts and more general serving gifts. And we see that in verse 11. But notice how both the person with the speaking gifts and the person with the serving gifts are to use them. They both are to use them by depending on God. So the person with the speaking gifts should depend fully on God's word. I think that's what it means when it says there that they are to speak uh, the very words of God. They are to speak as though they were speaking the very words of God. So the person with, with the speaking gift is, is not to teach according to their own wisdom, but according to what God has revealed in his word. The Bible contains the very words of God. So someone with speaking gifts should speak that which accords with it. What about people with gifts more generally? How are they to serve? They are to serve fully reliant on God's strength. Now, isn't that encouraging? You don't need to rely on your own strength to serve. Do you ever feel unqualified for service? How comforting it is to know that God is the one who equips you to serve. He doesn't only give you the gift. He also gives you the strength, the energy, and the understanding to be able to serve. By the way, if, if you're here and you're thinking, actually, I would like to, to serve in some way, but I'm not sure how you can do so, or even if you're not sure about what gifts uh, you might have, if you've never thought this, these things through, uh, please come and speak to someone on the staff team. We'd love to be able to share with you how you can, you can be serving uh, the church family. There are so many ways in which members of our church are currently serving one another. They're doing so through welcoming, through audiovisuals, through admin, through music, through children's and youth groups, through setup, through refreshments. Those are the ones I can think of. There's probably more. There are myriad ways in which we can serve. Now, I appreciate that some of us may feel like we can't serve as much as we'd like to. That might be due to health reasons, for example. If that's the case, please don't feel like you, you can't serve the church or you can't be a blessing to our church family. You can still serve us, for example, by praying. As we've seen, praying is extremely important in the life of the church. So please don't neglect that. That is a very important way of serving our church family. Now, imagine if we always sought as a church to live out this vision that Peter has laid out for us. 
to be a church that prays, to be a church that loves, and to be a church that serves. Wouldn't we be well equipped to remain standing, firm in the faith, when Jesus comes back? I think so. By the way, if, if you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, it would be weird to expect you to, to serve others in the church by praying, serving, or loving. I, I don't want you to consider how you can do any of those things if you're not uh, a Christian. In other words, I don't want you to consider what you can do for Jesus. Rather, I'd like you to consider what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, Peter, Peter says in this letter that Jesus suffered and died on the cross so that we could be brought to God. That is what Jesus has done. He has made a, a way for us to have a relationship with God by dealing fully with our sin. That is a relationship that you can have if you'll put your faith in Jesus. So that's the thing I, I really hope that you will consider doing first and foremost. The reason, the reason we Christians serve or we, we want to serve is because we know that God has first served us. Our serving is simply a response to his prior and continued serving of us. And we can only serve in the first place because he gives us gifts and strength to serve. Christians, as, as we serve in the strength that God provides, the end of our passage says that God is praised and glorified. He is praised and glorified. Why is that? Why can we pray? We can pray because God has made a way for us to pray to our Heavenly Father. We can love because God first loved us. And we can serve only because God has gifted us and strengthens us for service. So who deserves the, who deserves the praise? Who deserves the glory? All praise is due to God. Next time you, you see someone serving the church, think to yourself, God is gracious. God is gracious. And give God thanks for that person and for what God is doing in and through them. Friends, Christ is coming back. So as the church, let's continue to serve, let's continue to pray, and let's continue to love one another. This is what God wants for us as his body, as we wait for his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent your son to, to die for your people, the church. 
Thank you that you have given us a church family so that we can support one another, that we can support one another through prayer, um, through loving one another, and through serving one another. Father, we thank you so much that you give us gifts and you give us strength to serve. And so, Father, we pray that we would do these things. We pray that we would live in light of the end, knowing that Jesus is coming back. And as we live in light of the end, as we're sober, that we would be praying, loving, and serving one another. And so, Father, we do pray that as we do this, you would keep us standing firm in the faith when Jesus comes back. And we ask this in his name. Amen.